Tere, and welcome to History of Estonia podcast, episode 11, The St. George's Day Uprising. By the beginning of the 1340s, the King of Denmark had trouble controlling his faraway and independent-minded vassals in northern Estonia. And because of this, he was talking to the Livonian order about selling Haru Viruma to the order. The word was out about the possible sale to the order. A considerable number of Estonians were vassals to the king. So they sent a delegation to Denmark to meet with the king and see if, see if they could find out more information and see if they could influence the decision in a way that would be beneficial to the locals of northern Estonia. There had been speculation that some of the German vassals heard of the Estonians' trip to Denmark and had an influence on their lack of success. The Estonians were hoping for Swedish rule because Swedish peasants were free from serfdom, and the estate obligations were nearly non-existent. Because of their lack of success, and the concern that life would likely get much worse under Livonian rule, word started to spread of a planned revolt. However, the Estonians were able to keep the planned revolt a secret from the foreign ruling class. The rebellion was planned for April 23rd, on St. George's Day, St. George's Day had become a popular holiday on the Estonian calendar. It marked the beginning of spring when fields started to be worked in preparation for crops. The cattle were let out, and of course people just like to celebrate the improved weather. On St. George's Day, it was customary to light bonfires, blow horns, and make as much noise as possible to scare off predators and protect their cattle and horses from whatever possible dangers there might be. It is thought that the plotters of the revolt chose this day because it was a normal occurrence. The bonfire would be the signal to start because the bonfire would be seen as a normal occurrence, and there would be no reason to be alarmed by the signal and the noise that occurred from the revolt. Starting at night had the advantage of catching the foreigners off guard while they were asleep. It succeeded in terrorizing the local Germans. As they recalled it for many years after, estates and churches throughout Haru region were burned and, and their inhabitants killed. The chronicles report that those that survived the massacre made their way half-naked to Tallinn and Paide, looking for security behind the fortified walls. The rebels attacked and overran fortified Padise Cloister set it on fire, and killed its inhabitants of 28 monks. In a very short time, all of Haru, with the exception of Tallinn, were free from foreign rule. The rebels convened after their initial success and chose four supreme leaders, which are referred to in the Chronicles and by Estonians today as kings. It is possible that the Estonians that were revolting actually did refer to them as kings, as Kuningas, Estonian for king, can mean king or simply a military leader or commander. The Estonians were able to muster 10,000 men and set camp on the outskirts of Tallinn. Tallinn had been an important port and point of trade, but, the ruling foreigners, uh, but to the ruling foreigners, it was their base of power and the strongest fortified property. Taking control of Tallinn was crucial if the plan was to succeed. The besieging camp took a realistic view of their capabilities 
and knew that conquering Talon would be a long shot. So they seeked assistance from the bailiff of Turku, who was the, who was the king of Sweden's deputy governor of Finland. This was a viable plan at the time as the king of Sweden was at odds with the king of Denmark. So attacking Tallinn might have been a realistic option for Sweden. After warmly receiving the Estonian delegation, the bailiff agreed to help the, helped and pledged to soon send a large force to help bolster the Estonian attack of Tallinn. This, of course, was welcome news to the Estonians camped outside of Tallinn, and it gave them hope that in the end, they might succeed. The delegates, however, did pledge that if its endeavor to free Estonia succeeded, Estonia would be subjugated to the King of Sweden. This was seen as a positive move, as they expected much more freedom under the Swedish system. The word of the revolt spread, and soon Lanama was in open rebellion. The events in Lanama followed a, uh, followed a similar course to those of Haryu. All captured Germans were killed, and a large group of Estonians gathered at the center of Sodoma Lanama Diocese in Hapsalu. The foreign powers in Estonia have had many disagreements, but at this time they all turned to the only group that could save the situation, the Livonian Order. At this time, their, no their, their northernmost stronghold was in Paide, governed by the Bailiff of Yarva. Refugees from Haryu and Lanama flocked to Paide looking for help. At this time, the local garrison led by Master Buchard von Drilevin were involved in a battle with the Russians near Peskov. The order master turned his troops around to march back to Paide. The order was not attacked by the Estonians, but the order must have felt some common bond with the other foreign rulers, who were mostly German and getting involved might have been advantageous toward their future plans. It is likely that the Estonians of Haryu might have known of the order's involvement in the, in the campaign in Peskov and took the opportunity to attack and not have to worry about unexpectedly being attacked by, from their rear. Now that the order knew of the revolt, it was still the intention of the rebellion to keep the order out of the fight and on the sidelines. So for this reason, the leaders of the rebellion, the so-called Four Kings, had decided to meet with the master of the order and open negotiations and stall so that the military help from Sweden could arrive. The Estonian side showed up in Paide on May 4, 1343, and attendants were all four kings and three soldiers. The Germans were represented at the highest level. The master of the order was in attendance, along with the Bishop of Tallinn to look after Danish interests. The, chronic, the chronicler Bartholomaus Honecki was in attendance to document the proceedings, with, of course, a foreign perspective. It was written down that the order master accused the Estonians of killing many Germans and that they were under arrest. At this point, an armed fight broke out, leading to the death of the entire Estonian delegation. To the Estonians fighting for their freedom, the loss of their military leaders was a serious blow. At the time of the negotiations, a large section of the, rebe of the rebels 
were in the southern border region of Haryu. The order gathered their forces and decided to march to Talon. On the way, they were attacked twice at a stopover in the village of Kambla, but both attacks proved unsuccessful. They were then attacked again by the Estonians near the village of Kanavere in a bog, and a large battle broke out. The Germans were hampered by the weight of their armor in the bog, but again they won a victory. There were many dead on both sides, but the Estonians were said to have had more killed. After this last battle, the road to Tallinn was now clear, and the order then marched to within seven kilometers of Tallinn and stopped at the village of Moigu on May 14th and made their battle plan to attack. The Estonian army held an elevated position at Suyama Ridge between Lake Ulemiste and Suyama and Ray Bogs. It is said that the Estonians agreed to surrender, but the order de- demanded the, the murderers of their friends and family be punished. It is reported that the Estonians had retreated to the swamps at the start of the battle, hoping the Germans wouldn't pursue, but to no avail. It is estimated that 3,000 Estonians were killed. The chronicler states that only one German lord was killed. It is also reported that, the, that by the chronicler that when the people from Tallinn came to look at the dead piled up, up on top of each other, that one injured Estonian attacked the onlookers. This was a major loss for the Estonians, but this was not the end of their rebellion. However, at this time, they were not able to gather enough men to threaten Haryu Viruma. Part of the German army stayed to help defend Tallinn, while the larger group, led by the master of the order, marched to Lanama, where they forced the rebels that had surrounded the fortress of Hapsalu to surrender. Unfortunately for the Estonians, they were defeated too quickly, because at the agreed-upon time, the Swedish forces led by the bailiffs of Turku and Vyborg, arrived in Tallinn. After surveying the situation, they got back onto their ships and sailed, and sailed for home. So it seems that we are finished with the rebellion and the people of Sarama have been quiet. How did this happen? Well, I guess they were just late to the party because on July 24th, the revolt broke out in Sarama. The, isl- the islanders surrounded the foreign powers' main stronghold, the Poide Fortress. The islanders laid siege for eight days. The garrison of the fortress decided, under, con- under conditions that they would be allowed to leave, surrendered. It didn't work out like that, though. As soon as the garrison made its way outside the fort, they were set upon and stoned to death. The order had been successful so far, but their position was still complicated. Their forces were spread out and wearing thin. Now there were border skirmishes to worry about with Russia, and there was news of ongoing revolts in Haryu. So the order master turned to the German grandmaster in an urgent plea for help. In late October, a large number of reinforcements arrived in Estonia. The now large army moved towards Haryu, threatening to kill the entire population. The people of Haryu seek shelter in two fortresses. It is estimated that the fortresses were at Varbola and Lone, 
The order was able to overrun both fortresses, but lost many of their own lives in doing so. Haru was devastated in such a way that three years later, a chronicler, while passing through, described it as an empty and forsaken land. This left one last place of rebellion in Estonia, and in late winter of 1344, the order marched to Sarama over the sea ice. The islanders were in a strongly fortified uh, position in Karya, in the place known as the Hills of Kolya. While the order chroniclers were usually conservative when stating German losses, in this attack, the Germans paid a high price. A chronicler from Prussia reports 500 Germans killed. The fortress was conquered, however, and the local king named Vesse was hung by his tightly tied elbows and, and hung. This was not a complete victory for the order. Because of warming conditions, the order had to leave in a hurry and made its way back over the ice and the islanders took the opportunity to remain free. It wasn't until the winter of 1345, until the order was able to pull together another coalition of Livonians, Latvians, Karelians, Semigalians, and even Estonians from the mainland. All of these people were forced by the order to take part in this invasion. The coalition stopped over at Karyu for eight days and pillaged the surrounding area. After this, the people of Sarama again agreed to surrender. This time, the terms of surrender were harsh. Hostages were given, all fortresses were destroyed, and the locals had to surrender their arms to Lihula. As always, though, the situation in Sarama was on shaky grounds for the Germans. The St. George's, George's Day Uprising was a continuation of the ancient Estonian fight for freedom. People from around Europe took notice of the situation, but in the end, things just didn't work out. The Estonians fought hard and fought for as long as they could, taking every opportunity they could to strive for their freedom. The Germans, again, were too disciplined, too well-trained for the peasant army. It seems there was a real possibility that things could have worked out differently. If the Estonians camped out on the outskirts of Tallinn, were able to hold out and link up with the Swedish army, Estonians may have been able to switch to more advantageous rulers. We will never know. In next episode, we will get into the peasant life and what that was like in the 14th to the 16th centuries and talk about foreign relations after St. George's Day uprising to the Reformation. So far, I've been able to put out a fair amount of content fairly quickly. This will probably change over the next two to three weeks as the family and I are going on vacation over the Christmas holiday, and I will hopefully come back more inspired than ever because we are going to Estonia, and I get to run around and look at the, look at the cool stuff in the country, and unfortunately, though, it will be really cold. If you would like to reach out, my email is sparsleyw at gmail.com. Until next time, nagamiseni.